Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you get your Bibles out, open them up to the book of Exodus. Exodus, the 15th chapter, is where we're going to begin in just a moment. Exodus chapter 15. Going to read a couple of verses there at the top of the chapter, and that'll help to set up all the things that we want to talk about today from the Word of God. Exodus chapter 15. As you're turning there, I will just echo the welcome from earlier and say it is great to see everybody this uh, bright and sunshiny first day of the week. We're thankful that the uh, many of the roads have been cleared off and glad that our parking lot has been cleared. Appreciate Adam. I, I know that won't get announced because he's got the announcements later, but I do appreciate Adam and the work that he did in uh, helping to get our parking lot and sidewalk areas and all that stuff cleared off today so that we could be here uh, in person to worship God. And I'm grateful for your presence and I hope that our time together will be well spent, particularly right now as we open up the Scriptures. Let's read together in Exodus chapter 15. I'm reading here in verses 1 and 2. In Exodus 15, beginning in verse 1, this is talking about Moses and the children of Israel after they have escaped from Egyptian bondage we are told in Exodus 15 and in verse 1 Exodus 15 verse 1 then Moses and the people of Israel they sang this song to the Lord saying I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea the Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation this is my God, and I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. Can you imagine what that must have been like? What was that like to have safely passed through the Red Sea on dry ground and then to be standing on the other side safely on the shore and to then look back and to then see those waters begin to come together once again and ultimately end up swallowing up Pharaoh and his armies. What was that like? What was that like to see all of that and then in response to that, to then begin singing, to sing to the Lord? Can you even fathom the idea of what we just read here? Singing together with all of the people of God. We're talking about hundreds of thousands, if not maybe even one or two million people singing together. Brother Cody, can you even imagine being the song leader for an audience of that size? How in the world do you keep everybody on pitch? How in the world do you keep the tempo up with a group that large? Well, the truth of the matter is, I don't imagine that pitch or tempo was really the most important thing on that great day. What was important though, was that that entire congregation, they sang the song of Moses together. They were involved in praising God through song. And they were trying to encourage one another as they began that new journey toward the promised land. What an uplifting experience that must have been to be in the middle of that massive crowd. You know, normally when I walk into a church building and I'm finding a seat, I like to sit somewhere up, up toward the front. But if I was there on that day, I'd want to be right in the center, right in the middle of all of those people singing with my brothers and sisters the song of victory. Now, while we certainly do not have hundreds of thousands or a million people gathered together here today, there is no denying that there is still something very special about a group of God's people singing and praising Him together even as we've already done a little bit of this morning. You know, singing is unique from, from every other act of worship. 
Because it is the one act that we can all do where we are all doing the same thing at the same time. Just the aesthetic effect alone, the pleasing and beautiful sounds that are created when people blend their voices together, I think that alone just kind of puts singing in a, in a category all its own. Certainly wouldn't want to give the impression that singing is somehow more important or that singing is better than any other act of worship. But one glance and one walk through the Scriptures makes it pretty clear that congregational singing, that that has played a mighty important role all throughout the history of God's people. And that is why this morning I do want to talk for just a few minutes about the value and the blessing of praising God in song. And I do want to talk about this this morning from the vantage point that we very rarely ever come from. Because usually whenever we talk about, and you hear preachers and churches of Christ get up and preach about music in worship, what do we usually harp on? We usually harp on that instrumental music issue. And to be fair, that is an important issue. And Lord willing, We'll talk about that tonight. You come back this evening and we're going to talk about the instrumental music issue. But let's just be honest. I didn't see anybody this morning trying to break out a guitar while we were singing that first song. I didn't see anybody try to wheel a piano as they were coming into the building today. I didn't see anybody trying to set up a drum kit or some other kind of a big band experience so that we can just rock out during our song service. I didn't see that. But you know what I did see? I saw people trying to sing. I saw people trying to express to God what is in their heart through this avenue of song. And this morning I want to talk about some things that I hope will just kind of help us and motivate us in that direction. I want to talk about some of the difficulties and the complexities of singing, some of the challenges that go along with that. I want to talk about why it is that God wants us to do that. Why did God choose to include singing in His worship? There's lots of things that God didn't include in His worship. There's not a verse in the Bible that says, Verily, verily, thou shalt bust out the Crayolas and start coloring pictures in worship to me. God could have did that, but He didn't. God could have said and included sports in His worship. Verily, verily, thou must kick the holy field go in thy worship. Could have did that. That's not what He chose. But He did choose song. He chose singing, worshiping Him musically. Why did He do that? Most importantly, I want to, as we talk about this all throughout this, I want to talk about how we can do that in a, the best possible way. How we can do that at an even higher level. And so let's just begin that by just talking a little bit about some of the challenges to congregational singing. Why is it that singing together is sometimes, it's sometimes kind of difficult? Well, I think there's a number of factors at play here. And maybe right at the top of the list is the fact that when we sing together, there are several things happening simultaneously. There's just a lot of stuff that's happening at the same time. For one, i got to be thinking about the words of that song. Isn't that right? That's the most important part of all. Got to be focusing on the words. If I'm not thinking about the words and what they mean and the significance of those words, then, well, then everything else just falls apart. Everything else is useless. On top of thinking about the words, I've also got to try as best I can to Maybe kind of pay attention to some of those notes. All those squiggles and shapes and lines on the page. Got to try to follow that as best as I can. I know that that kind of looks like Egyptian hieroglyphics to some folks. But hey, got to try to read those words and follow the notes. On top of that, you got the song leader up here in the pulpit. 
And he's up here flapping his arms and he's beating the time and he's giving directions and all of this kind of stuff. Got to try to follow him a little bit even as I'm following what's going on on the page or what's going on on the screen. You know, sometimes song leaders, they get upset and they say, Hey, nobody's paying attention to me up here and following my directions. Well, listen, brother. I understand that that can be kind of, kind of annoying from time to time, but you know what? We're busy out there. There's a lot going on while we sing. There's a lot of things that are happening, and the truth is some of us, I'll be the first to acknowledge, some of us just aren't very good at multitasking. Look with me in Nehemiah the 12th chapter. I'll show you an example of this. In Nehemiah chapter 12, this is when the Israelites are here at the dedication ceremony of the, the newly rebuilt walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah, in kind of celebration of all of that, Nehemiah appoints two groups of singers. And I'm always impressed with what's said about that. In Nehemiah chapter 12, look in verse 31. In verse 31, Nehemiah says, Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall, and I appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south, and drop down to verse 38, the other choir of those who gave thanks, they went to the north, and then I followed along with them. I, I've always read that passage, and I've always thought to myself, man, I'm glad I wasn't there. I can barely even walk and chew gum at the same time. And so if I was one that was appointed to be on the wall, being a singer, and walking on the wall at the same time, I probably would have been the idiot who fell off of the wall. And that's because singing and singing in a group, that can be complicated. It's hard enough to sing by yourself, but it's kind of taken up another level when you start adding other people to that mix. And of course, that's not the only reason that singing can be difficult congregationally. What about, what about the wide variety of song styles and arrangements that we have? You know, just a quick flip and glance through our songbook kind of makes it very evident that we have just a wide array of songs to choose from. We've got songs that date back hundreds upon hundreds of years. We've got songs in our book that date back like five, six hundred years. Songs that we still sing even to this day. On the other end of the spectrum, we've got songs that were written just in the last decade or so. Very recent songs that we sing from time to time. Or what about we've got songs that have lots of, lots of layers and lots of multi-part harmony. Songs that require some good bass singers or some good alto singers. And in fact, if you are lacking in either of those departments, then when it gets to certain parts of the song, it, it may be kind of awkward if you don't have the people to sing those parts. You've got songs that are written in a 4-4 time, and that's kind of meant to be a little bit more, more upbeat, and a little bit more, more faster pace. You've got songs as well that are in kind of a 3-4 time, or maybe a 6-8 time, and that's meant to be a little bit slower, more of a ballad time. What all of this is to say is that there are just a smorgasbord of musical styles and musical arrangements. And during the course of a normal song service, I would imagine, I would imagine we sing just a little bit of everything, don't we? Every song is an adventure in and of itself. And because of that wide variety of songs that we have, and I actually think that's a blessing. I'm glad we have such a variety. But what that usually means is that, that means, thirdly, that we have lots of differing individual preferences about songs. Sometimes you'll hear folks say, I don't, I don't like those fast songs. In fact, that's usually said to me because when I lead singing, I tend to lead pretty fast. I don't like those fast songs. I can't keep up. Then, of course, there's always people who jump in and say, you know what? I don't like those slow songs. 
I can't stand those dreary, depressing, slow songs. Somebody else jumps in and says, you know what? I don't like those old songs. Those dusty old songs that were written hundreds of years ago. Why do we even sing those songs anymore? And then, of course, there's going to be people who jump in and say, well, you know what? I don't like those new songs. All those songs that we've got in that supplement. What's the deal with a supplement book? I don't like all those songs. Then maybe somebody comes along and says, you know what? I don't like all those songs that have all that flowery language in it. All that poetry in the writing. Think about some of the songs that we have. Here I raise my Ebenezer. What's that about? Is that a Christmas song? What's going on there? Or night with ebon pinion brooded o'er the veil. Ever had a night with an ebon pinion? When's the last time you brooded o'er the veil? Casting down the royal diadem. What is that about? Our golden crowns around the glassy seat. Listen, I'm pretty sure my wife doesn't own a crown or a diadem. What's going on? Lots of those lyrics can be puzzling for us. They can be confusing. And as a result, some folks say, I don't want to sing those songs. In fact, let's just get those songs out of our songbook. Let's just start cutting them out and do away with them. Well, hold on just a second. Before anybody says, hey, let's just get all the poetry stuff out of the songbook, Maybe we need to be careful about that. For example, here's a little song that I wrote myself. And it is stripped of all of the poetry and figurative language. It is a very literal song. You tell me how you like this song. The song goes like this. Oh God, you're up in heaven. We can't see you up there, but you made everything. How do you like that? You'll sing that song? Maybe we can put some notes to that and we'll sing that this evening. Anybody like that song? Does that song inspire you, lift you up? That's not nearly as good as there is beyond the azure blue. A God concealed from human sight. He tinted the skies with the heavenly hue. And He framed the worlds with His great might. One of those just, just kind of resonates a little bit more than the other, doesn't it? One of those just rings a little bit truer. And so before you decide, hey, we ought to just get rid of all that poetic fluff in our hymn book, I want you to please remember that the book of Psalms, which is in many ways a hymn book, it contains much imagery and much poetry and much metaphor. And those are the words and the ideas that help to draw our hearts in so fully and are many times able to say what our own words cannot express. I like those kinds of songs. You may not, and that's okay. But that does present an interesting challenge to our worship together as we praise God in song. Not only that, this is probably the biggest problem with congregational singing. There are some folks in every congregation who for whatever reason just choose not to sing. There are folks who would rather be spectators than to be participators. And these are the folks who will say things like, I I, I don't sing. I can't sing. I can't tell the difference between a, a shape note and a post-it note. I can't carry a tune in a bucket, and so I don't sing. 
Or maybe these are the folks who say, you know, even if I, even if I do sing, I, I do that very quietly. I kind of mumble sing or I whisper sing to where, you know, if you even wanted to even hear the slightest hint of my voice, you'd need like a 75,000 watt amplifier to even get the slightest trace of my voice. I don't have a good singing voice. I don't want people looking at me and making judgments about my singing. I don't want somebody to look at me and say... Is she strangling a cat over there? What's going on over there? I'm embarrassed about singing out in public. And so that is why in virtually every congregation that you go to, you will find a person or several persons who just, they just listen to the singing. They're there to observe and to kind of watch and to just kind of take it all in. Maybe in the same way that you and I would if we went to, if we went to an opera. Or if we went to some other kind of concert, we're there to watch and observe and kind of soak all of that in and just be, be a spectator. But I want to say to you this morning that God did not say, hey, just show up to church, sit back, let other people do that praising and worshiping thing, and you just observe that. No, God said in passages like Colossians 3 and in verse 16 that we are to sing. That's a verb. That requires some action on our part to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Christians are to come together and then blend their voices to create music. Music that, yes, will benefit us as the listeners, but more importantly, music that will then reach the ears of God and be pleasing to Him. We need to remember that when we come together to worship, we are not the audience. We are not the fans. God is the audience. We are worshiping for an audience of one. Now, understanding that, and given that we see here that, yeah, singing can be kind of a challenging thing to do together, then the question then comes, well, well why exactly are we doing that? Why does God command us to do that, and in fact to do that collectively? You know, if God knew that singing together would pose some challenges, and I think God did know that. And even in the age of COVID-19, that's kind of added some extra challenges to singing together. Then the question becomes, then why does God want us to do that? Well, let me suggest three ideas this morning. First and foremost, I want to suggest to you that God wants us to sing because singing is a proper outlet for our emotions and our feelings, and our convictions. Singing gives us a proper channel for offering our praise and our thanksgiving to our great God. We are not free and given just a blank check to worship God any way that we choose and we see fit. We are not given over to just wild emotional displays where we just kind of cut loose and just whatever happens and whatever comes out, well, that's just what we do. Absolutely not. That is not the divinely given outlet for the worship of God. God has given us singing. It's not the only form of our worship, but He has given us singing as one of the main avenues for releasing what it is that we feel inside. Look with me in James, the fifth chapter, please. In James chapter 5, James makes this very point. In James the 5th chapter, he actually talks about a couple of different emotions. What do you do with them? In James chapter 5, look in verse 13. In James 5 and verse 13, Is any among you suffering? Then let him pray. Then he says, Is anyone cheerful? Or is anyone merry? Let 
Him sing praise. Just tell the truth, Christian. There is plenty to be cheerful about as a Christian. There are plenty of reasons for us to be merry. And maybe the reason that sometimes we just kind of become very blasé about singing is because we're not cheerful enough, we're not merry enough, and that's because we have not given enough thought and introspection to the abundance of blessings that we enjoy in Jesus Christ. You just crank open the beginning of the book of Ephesians. Read Ephesians 1. Read that big long opening paragraph sometime. And just be reminded of all the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. Because I'll tell you, when you give some serious thought to that, when you allow that to fill up your mind and fill up your heart, then you will be moved. You will be moved to then express the gladness that you feel, to express the gratitude that you feel, to express the joy that you feel inside. Just think about it. What does it mean to you? What does it mean to you to know that the end of your story is written in heaven instead of in hell? What does it mean to you to have hope, hope that is able to fill us up and help us throughout this life. What is it like to have that hope and and not to have to go through this life with a feeling of hopelessness and helplessness? What's that mean to you? What about whenever you think about the cross and you contemplate the sinless Son of God dying for you, dying for me? What kind of emotions flood your mind and your soul? What do you do with those emotions? Where where, where, where do you take them? How do you you work with those emotions? I'll tell you one of the things you do with those emotions. You take all those emotions and you let them out in song. All that poetry, all those beautiful lines that say things in a way that I know that I could never think to say, and you just sing. You sing, I was so lost, I should have died. But you have brought me to your side to be led by your staff and rod, and to be called a Lamb of God. Those are amazing words. Those are incredible words. Those are the words that inspire us. They infuse us with new strength and new courage. They make us strong when we are weak. Those are the kinds of words that lift us up whenever we are down. I often stop and wonder, where where would we be without those hymns? And where would we be without the blessing of song? How much does it mean to you to be able to sing and express what we feel toward our Creator? And furthermore, remember that singing kind of serves a dual purpose, what we feel toward each other. The encouragement and the teaching that we provide for each other when we sing. We can't even begin to imagine the importance of singing in our lives as God's children. How grateful we ought to be that God lets us worship Him musically. And as we're doing that, I would have you take note as well that that also gives us the opportunity to practice mutual submission. I'm going to guess that if folks were coming together today and we're going to put together the top three reasons as to why God wants us to sing, I'm going to guess that this one probably would not have made anybody's top three list. But I do believe that when we come together to sing, this is one of the things that God is helping us to do, to understand about submitting to one another. Let's go grab Ephesians chapter 5. You had to know we were going to make our way over here at some point. In Ephesians 5, this is that well-known passage about singing. 
And Paul gives some instructions here that I would imagine we're, we're pretty much all familiar with verses 19 and 20. But I need us to look at verses 19, 20, and 21. Because I think 21 goes right with 19 and 20. Look at Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 19. There Paul says this. In Ephesians 5 and in verse 19, he says, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We are called, as the people of God, to submit to one another. And somebody would maybe say, well, I think maybe that submit to one another thing has to do with marriage. Oh, no, 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 no. The marriage stuff doesn't start till verse 22. I think verse 21 is talking to us in the body of Christ. It's talking to Christians, brothers and sisters. And he makes a direct connection here about how we can do that submitting to one another even when we come together to sing. And isn't that what happens whenever we are involved in congregational singing? The song leader gets up and he announces the title or the number of the song that we're going to sing. And what do we do? We either get our songbook out and we turn to that number or we fix our attention on the screen so that we can sing that song that he's been selected. We do not say, you know what, I don't like that song. Cody led, I walk with the king. I hate that song. I don't want to sing that song. I want to sing Jesus loves me instead. I'm turning over and I'm singing Jesus loves me this morning. We don't do that, do we? No, we submit to the song that Cody has selected. We submit. And then, of course, the song starts. And the song leader, maybe he starts that song a little bit faster than we would have preferred. Or maybe he starts that song a little slower than we would have preferred. What do we do? I'll tell you what we do. We submit whatever the tempo that he's selected, even the pitch that he's selected. We're going to submit to what he's done. We are singing at the tempo and at the pace that he has selected. Then maybe in the middle of that song, the song leader holds up, holds up the number three, holds up three fingers. That's the universal signal to say, hey, we're going to sing that third verse that always gets skipped over in those four verse songs. I always feel bad for the third verse when there's four verses. Verses 1, 2, and 4. Hey, no, we're today we're singing verse number 3. Well, what if you think, I don't want to sing that third verse. This song's already long enough. I don't like that third verse. I'm not singing that third verse. Absolutely not. What do we do? We submit. We sing that third verse as the song leader has directed. And as we are doing all of those things, what are we learning? We're learning in small incremental ways that this idea of just rampant individualism, I'm an American, I can do what I want to do, we are learning that that is not the way to live. That that is not the way of Christ. In Christ Jesus, in the body of Christ, it's not all about me. And it's not about what I want that matters the most. As we are singing together, what we are learning is that I can submit my voice to our voice. I can give up what I want so that we can do something together. In fact, look with me in Romans, the 15th chapter. Here's a verse that I wonder if maybe the Apostle Paul has singing in mind. Now, he doesn't mention singing specifically here, but I kind of wonder, is there anything else that fits this description except singing? In Romans 15, look in verses 5 and 6. 
Romans 15 verse 5, he says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What else do we do where all of us together with one voice are glorifying God. What else describes that except singing? There may be other things in mind there, but I think singing certainly fits into that. And that says something about the fact that we are submitting to each other. We are learning to yield to one another. And the fact of the matter is, whether we want to admit it or not, I think all of us, we can use all the help that we can get when it comes to this idea of submission. Because many times we are... Let me take that back. Many times I am selfish and self-centered and I want things to suit myself and that is why I am so glad that God has ordained it so that singing is a part of his worship congregational singing because it helps me to learn how to give up self that means I come to this assembly and I give up what it is that I want I give that up in favor of singing to each other and singing together for the benefit of everyone. Not just my benefit, but for everybody's benefit, even if I don't necessarily like the singing or the songs that have been selected that day. And that is why when people say to me, I get to lead singing from time to time. And there used to be a time in my life when people would come to me maybe after services and they would say, hey Josh, uh, I just want to let you know, I didn't like that song that you led tonight. I don't care for that song. Once upon a time, I would have got really upset about that. How dare you come and say that to me? That's my favorite song in the whole book. I used to get really worked up about that. Or I don't like the way that you led that song. I used to get really perturbed about that. But now, now I don't allow that to get me bent out of shape. Because I have come to the realization that I do not come here to do something so unimportant as to cater to the desires of any one person. I come here to do something in a collective, together arrangement where my tastes and my preferences get checked at the door so that I can then submit to my brethren even as we all submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. And certainly as we are submitting to one another in song and as we are praising God in song, then naturally and thirdly, that affords us the occasion to make a proclamation of truth. To state truth in a time and in a world that is so full of error. Look with me in Acts the 16th chapter. In Acts chapter 16, I've said before that this is my favorite singing passage in all of the New Testament. We've not looked at all those passages this morning. We don't have time to do that. But in Acts chapter 16, this is the account of Paul and Silas in the city of Philippi. And this is after they have had just a, a terribly long day, just to say the very least. These guys have been arrested. They have been beaten. They've been falsely accused. They have been mistreated. All of that in just the worst possible way. And I want you to notice how they decided to cap off that bad day. In Acts 16, this is verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Somebody that evening, I don't know whether it was Paul or whether it was Silas, but one of those guys said to the other, Hey, let's sing. 
And they did. They then tuned their voices together. I don't know what they sang. I don't know how long they sang, how many songs that they sang. I'd be interested to know all of that. But they sang together. And when they did that that night, it meant something to them, didn't it? It meant a whole lot to those guys. It meant something to Paul and Silas in that wretched situation. It infused each of them with newfound faith and courage even in the middle of this awful situation. They were proclaiming to each other. They were proclaiming to the other prisoners. They were proclaiming to the guards and whoever else would hear the sound of their voice. They were letting people know through their songs that our God, He reigns. He is sovereign. And we are putting our trust in Him. This is awful. This is terrible where we are physically and what's going on to us. But we don't care. Because our God is still upon the throne and our faith and our trust is in Him even in the midst of these circumstances. Paul and Silas on that night, they were preaching in a way that the prisoners could not not listen to them. Do you understand what I mean by that? In fact, I would even dare say that if Paul had spoke up to all the prisoners and said, Hey everybody, I want you to listen to me now. I'm going to do an expository sermon from the book of Leviticus. Listen to me. I'm going to imagine that a lot of those folks probably would have tuned him out. In fact, if Paul's preaching on Leviticus, I, I maybe would have tuned him out as well. No, Leviticus is important. But when they started singing, there was no way they could turn that off. There was no way that they could just shut their ears. No, I don't want to hear that. No. People heard that. And in fact, I believe there's maybe a good chance that that singing might have had an effect on that Philippian jailer who ends up being converted that very same hour of the night. Kind of wonder about that. Did maybe he learn some stuff just from the songs that Paul and Silas were singing? You know, all around us, our world, it is filled with lies and misinformation. Certainly there's lots of lies and misinformation just in, in general going on. But I'm thinking about religiously and spiritually. There's a lot of misinformation, a lot of, a lot of falsehood out there. On top of that, there's lots of gloom and doom. There's lots of despair that is circulated and makes its way through our atmosphere. There are people in our world who would have people to believe that Christianity, Christianity just makes your life miserable. It just makes your life worse. But we're the people who know better. We're the people who know the truth about that. And we know better, and as a result, we say so. We say so in our words. We say so in our songs. We make it known that there is more to this life than just this life. And everybody, one of these days, is going to know that when the roll is called up yonder. And yes, things can be difficult in this life from time to time. But we know that at any moment we can bring to God all of our thoughts and all of our concerns in that sweet hour of prayer. And we know as well that one of these days, things are going to be considerably clearer. And in fact, we can come to understand that even more right now if we'll count our many blessings and name them one by one. We sing those songs together. And we're reminded of those critical truths. We're telling each other. We're telling others. We constantly, through those songs, we contradict our culture of lies and deceit because we sing words of truth. And it is a powerful proclamation because even more so than just preaching and speaking, it is the combination of truth with music. When we address one another in song, we are telling each other and we're telling anybody else who will hear us, I believe. 
I believe that this is true. I believe that the things that it says are real. And as a result, we become stronger. And we are more grounded and we are more rooted in that truth. What a powerful teaching tool singing then becomes. Now I should tell you these three things this morning. This is not a complete or thorough list of all of the good reasons for why we sing. This in many ways is just the, it's just the hem of the garment. But it does begin to frame up for us the richness of singing and singing together, what it is and what it ought to mean to all of us. Let me say as we close here this morning, I want to say a final word of just very, very direct and very pointed application. First of all, I want to say if you are one of those non-singers, or maybe you're one of those, those, those whisper singers, you just kind of sing inwardly inside your own mouth and you're the only person that can even hear that. Let me just say to you that, that I hope that by concentrating on a lot of these good things that singing can do, I hope that that will help you to quit worrying about all of the intricacies and technicalities of singing. I understand that singing can be complicated. I know that I sure don't have all of it figured out. But the good news is, God doesn't require you to be on pitch. God does not expect you to be able to read shape note music. Nor does God expect you to know a do from a re or a fa from a me. That's not, that's not legislated in God's Word. My question then is, why do we worry about that so much? Why do we worry if we don't sing well? Why do we get so caught up in that? Have we forgotten what the Lord said about Himself so long ago? In 1 Samuel 17 and in verse 16, 1 Samuel 16 and in verse 7, when God says He looks at the heart, it's not the exterior, it's not the outward appearance. So the Lord is able to see the heart that man cannot see. And so if God doesn't care about my vocal abilities, then why does that matter to me so much? Why are we so vain about that? We need to let that go. We need to put our pride away about that. Who cares what other people think about that? And that does seem to be the real problem for a lot of folks when it comes to singing is, well, I'm afraid of what other people will think of my voice. I don't want other people to hear me singing. I'm afraid that I'll sound bad to someone else. Well, so what? Who cares? Your worship is not for them. Your worship is for God. It is an offering to Him. In fact, if somebody's sitting across the aisle or in another pew from you, if they're sitting there and they're judging your worship, then they have a real problem. But this, this is between me and the Lord. And this is way too important. And I've got way too much stuff bottled up inside that I'm not going to just let it just stay in there. I need to let that out. I need to let the Lord know. I want to make that known through my songs, through the words that I say. This is so much bigger than just me. I need to sing. This is not a performance. This is not American Idol. Katy Perry and Lionel Richie and Luke Bryan, they are not here to judge and critique your singing. So just get past that and just sing. In fact, I often find it very just the, just the height of hypocrisy for Christians in churches of Christ to go blasting people who sing with instruments of music in their worship and yet many times, many of those exact same Christians sit in church buildings just like this and say not one word when the singing is going on. 
Is somehow their disobedience any worse than your disobedience when you do not sing? Brother, sister, open up your mouth. Let those words come from inside, through your throat, through your vocalizer, out your lips, and sing to the Lord. Somebody maybe would say, after hearing all of that, somebody would say, well, Josh, okay, that's all well and good, but I'll just go ahead and tell you. I'll just go ahead and just be up front with you. I just don't care for singing. I don't. I just don't really like it. You know, I'll do it. God says to do it. It's a command. Okay, I have to do that. Sometimes you'll hear folks say when we would have singing night, they'd say, it's just singing night. Well, I'll tell you this, you probably better get to liking it. You probably ought to work on your desire to sing to God. Because when we get to heaven, it sounds like heaven is going to be just singing night all of the time. In fact, I'll close in Revelation the 15th chapter. In Revelation 15 and in verses 2 and 3, in this marvelous picture of heaven, John is able to see this amazing vision of the things that are going on in heaven and maybe a preview of what we can expect. John says in Revelation 15 verse 2, I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of the glass harps, glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing... They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. It's going to be singing night in heaven for a really long time. And I, for one, am looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the day when we get to leave this place and we get to go to that place. And we get to sing with the angels. What's it like to get to sing with the angelic chorus? We get to sing with with Moses who wrote that song. We get to sing with Paul and Silas who were singing in prison that night. We get to sing with Jesus. We get to sing with the saints and those who have gone on before us. Think about the people that you've known throughout your life who you love to sing with them and to hear their voice singing. We get to be with them. We get to sing together around the great wide throne throughout the ages of the ages. What that means then is that means that what we are doing today and what we do here on this earth, in many ways, it's a dress rehearsal. It's a practice for what happens when we get up there and we get to sing for all of eternity. If you're using a songbook this morning, You can be getting that songbook out and be turning it to the song that's been selected. Or if you're not using a songbook, you can be getting your attention fixed toward the screen as we get ready to sing that very special song. It's a song of invitation. And this will give you an opportunity right now to practice what I just preached. We're going to sing that song to encourage anyone this morning who needs to submit their life to Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian... This is your opportunity to repent of sin, to confess your faith in Jesus as Lord, and to be baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins. All things are prepared for you to do that this very hour. If you are a Christian, but you've not been submitting yourself to the Lord as you ought, maybe you've not even been submitting yourself to your brethren as you ought, then this is the opportunity as well to get it turned around, to repent, come back to God, let us pray with you and encourage you so that we can all serve the Lord in a better way. You know, singing does have a way of pricking the conscience. 
And if you need to respond to the invitation this morning, my hope is that this song, Bring Christ Your Broken Life, that the words of it and the voices of all the people who are gathered here today, that it will provoke you in a positive way. It will provoke you to take decisive action right now. If we can assist you in making your life right with God, then we urge you to do that right now while we stand and, yes, while we sing.